0: we just thank you for loving us for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life and lord we love you jesus thank you for loving us god thank you for giving us life through him and i pray that you just glorify yourself in this message bless pastor kevin as he speaks thank you for these people thank you for the spirit of worship thank you for the hope that we have in this room and lord nothing is hopeless nothing is hopeless when you're in our lives father you are the way maker and for that, we honor you, we glorify you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for this great time to be together today. And we thank you for your presence that's resting with us and that is in us daily, every second, every moment, every minute of our day. And we give you glory for ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Our
1: affection, our devotion, poured out, cast upon the feet of Jesus. Amen. Lord Jesus, we do love you. It's such a privilege to be able to gather together in gospel community and fellowship. Iron sharpening iron, coming together, as you, Jesus, said that we should, in unity, in one mind, in one spirit, in one purpose, one confession, that you and you alone are the one. You're the risen king. That's the gospel. And that's the message that we take out to the ends of the earth. The Apostle Paul said that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel because the gospel, not his effectiveness in preaching, not his homiletics, not his oratory skills, but the gospel, that that was the power of salvation. That's what we cling to. Today, Lord Jesus, we come here broken, Some of us still stuck in our sin, some of us redeemed, but yet still sinning. We come here today to cast our crowns upon your feet, to pour out our devotion and our love, because you and you alone are worthy. All God's people said, Amen. Well, it's been a while since I've used my clicker, and so I'm a little out of practice. So if I mess up, I hope y'all show me a little grace. I was talking to someone before the service this morning, and I said, as I was digging through the Psalms and asking God to lead me, the Spirit to lead me, where would you have me go? And I must have read 20, 30, 40 Psalms. And finally, I came to Psalm 107, and I felt God was saying, this is the one. And I said, okay, Lord. I started to dig in. And as I dug in, I made it through one word. And that whole sermon today is about that first word in Psalm 107. So obviously, we're not going to cover the whole Psalm today. So, the next few weeks, we're going to be in Psalm 107. In 2003, there was a song that came out with these lyrics. It's not a Christian song, and it wasn't sung by a Christian artist. And so, if you want to heap condemnation upon me for mentioning that in a sermon, in a church community, in a place of worship, I'm okay with that. The lyrics go I will go down with this ship. I won't put my hands up and surrender. There will be no white flag above my door. I'm in love. And always will be. That idea of total abandon to an idea, a concept, to be so sold out on what's right and what's good and what's true, I'll go down with the ship. I'll go down with that ship. I believe in it wholeheartedly. And I'm not going to put my hands up in surrender. I'm not going to wave the white flag. And the artist sings. The person who wrote it, the lyricist, wrote, I'm in love and always will be. Your challenge today, how does that tie in with Psalm 107? Many translations begin, as mine does, in the CSB, the Christian standard Bible, give thanks to the Lord for he is good His love endures forever. I'm not saying that those things aren't true. I'm just going to say that maybe there's another way that we could read that. The first word isn't todah. I've preached on many times Toda is that Hebrew word that means thanksgiving, to give thanks unto the Lord. It's part of the sacrificial system It's the one sacrifice that will endure forever and ever. It never ends. But that's not the word that's used here. That very first word in Hebrew is an imperative verb, yada. Yada. And that word yada means to cast, to throw, recklessly abandon, to go down with the ship, unrelenting that's what yada means yada to yahweh yada unto yahweh so we could translate that first verse abandon unto the lord that's what we read this morning after we read our vision and our mission together abandon unto the lord for goodness his covenant loyalty That's his kessed love. That word in Hebrew doesn't just mean his love. It means his covenant loyalty that when God makes a promise, it's not ever going to be broken. He's a promise keeper. He said that no matter what you do, humanity, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth. No matter what you do, The only thing that's required is that you abandon yourself unto me. And you can have everlasting life in and through my son, the Lord, the King, Jesus Christ. You might be saying, well, my version says give thanks and I'm going to stick to give thanks. And I'm okay with that. But I just want to mention a couple of other passages of Scripture that use that exact same word, that exact same verb, yada. And I want to challenge you a little bit and say, maybe, maybe our translators, maybe they nuanced it a little bit, maybe they made an interpretive decision, but I want you to make the decision. And the first place I want us to look is in Jeremiah 14. I got the passage up there, and if you don't trust me, that's okay. You can turn in your Bible to Jeremiah 50, verse 14. It's talking about the sin of the Babylonians. This is after the exile, and the Babylonians, they're, they're taking uh, the Israelites in conquest, and it's saying, line up in battle formations. Battle formations against Babylon, all you archers. Unleash upon her. Spare no arrows. For against Yahweh she has sinned. And in that passage right there is the verb yadah. And I want to ask you, where do you see give thanks? Where do you see give thanks? Where do you see praise? It's tough to see here, isn't it? Battle formations against Babylon. Line up. Prepare for battle, all you archers. Unleash upon her. Spare not a single arrow. Everything that you've got, fire it all against her because she's sinned against Yahweh. And there it is. Yada, unleash, abandon everything that you've got. Don't hold anything back, Yadah, upon her. How do you take Yadah and say that to the Lord and call it thanks? Give thanks or thanksgiving to the Lord. I don't think there was anyone in Israel that was saying, let's give thanks to the Babylonians. Let's praise the Babylonians. It's the idea, yada, the concept of abandon. Going down with the ship. Take your stand. Don't be wishy-washy. Don't be flippant. Don't be a flake. Don't stand here and then when the tide starts to turn, take your t-shirt and flip it around to the other team's color. Oh yeah, that was my team in the first place. Hang on a second. Huh? You've been cheering for Babylon this whole time? But see, that's many of us. Fairweather fans. Fans. Fairweather fans, we don't go down with the ship. We're ready to wave the flag and surrender. We're ready to turn the shirt inside out and go with the crowd wherever they lead. Yadah. Psalm 107. Yadah unto the Lord for his goodness. His covenant loyalty is everlasting. You say, Pastor, I'm not really sure I'm... Um, convinced as of yet that it shouldn't be give thanks well i'm going to take you on a little bit more of a journey i'm not one of those that believes there's a a flawed principle in bible translation interpretation called the rule of first order and there are people that take wherever the word occurs first in scripture and they say that's got to be the meaning everywhere else that's wrong Context is always king. It's always about context. So I want to take you to Genesis 29. I'm going to set a little bit of the backstory here. Maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe this is your first time hearing a message. Maybe you don't know anything about the Bible. Well, I want to encourage you to dive in and read the story. But it is God's love story to humanity. And there's this guy that his name is Abraham. And he's a descendant of Noah. And God makes a promise to him and says that all the peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. He has a son named Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob, and his name means grasper, overreacher. And he's notorious, Jacob is, for shady dealings. He's a bit of a deceiver. And when you read the story, you find out, why would God choose this guy? Why would God choose any of us? Is that a little bit of self-righteousness bubbling up? Why would God choose Jacob? Why would he choose any of us? The promise is going through Jacob not because of who he is or his moral standings, his moral fiber, and his ethics, but because God does what God wants to do. Jacob steals his brother, who's the oldest, Esau. He steals his birthright. Esau is the firstborn, and Jacob steals it. He tricks him. And he's running for his life from Esau. And he goes into a foreign country. And he meets this woman named Rachel. And I want you to picture the little hearts popping above Jacob's head as he sees Rachel over there taking care of her dad's cattle watering them, Jacob falls in love, and in verse 19 of chapter 29 of Genesis, Laban, who's Rachel's dad, says, it's better, he's talking to Jacob, it's better I give her to you than some other man. Stay with me for a while. So Jacob worked seven years. I was reading this, and I said, you know, that's how you know Jacob wasn't a millennial. He worked for seven years. He didn't expect to be the CEO. Seven years for Rachel. And it says that they seemed only like a few days to him because of his love for her. The story goes on in 23. It says the night that he's supposed to get her, uh, as the wedding promise that evening Laban, Rachel's dad, tricked Jacob. And instead he gave his oldest daughter, Leah, who hadn't been married yet, And then in verse 25, it says, when morning came, there was Leah. He was shocked. What is this that you've done to me? Jacob says to Laban, wasn't it for Rachel I worked for you? You've deceived me. The deceiver has now been deceived. Payback, huh? The dad explains to him, we're not supposed to give the youngest away when the oldest hasn't been married yet. He's trying to rationalize his deception. Jacob loves Rachel so much, he says that he'll work for his father-in-law now for another seven years, 14 years for the love of one girl. And here's where it ties in. You're saying, what does any of this have to do with Yadah? What does any of this have to do with Psalm 107? It has to do with being abandoned. Leah, not the one that Jacob wanted, but the one that he was given first, says in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, see, because Jacob was infatuated with Rachel. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. Rachel was unable to conceive. Leah conceived, gave birth to a son, and named him Reuben because the Lord has seen So his name, Reuben, means the Lord sees. That's her first son. The second son, she conceived again in verse 33, says the Lord has heard that I'm unloved and he's given me another son, so I'll name him Simeon. Simeon, the name, means that the Lord does what? It just told us. The Lord hears. Reuben, the Lord sees. Simeon, the Lord hears. The third son... She conceived again in verse 34, says, at last my husband will become attached to me, and therefore she named him Levi because the name Levi means attached. So all three of these names, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, have nothing to do with Leah thanking God, abandoning unto God. It's all about Leah. Woes me, I'm unloved. God, gimme, gimme, gimme. Be my cosmic delivery system. Change my circumstances. Make my life better. Do this for me. All of those sons, things don't turn out so well for them. We'll touch on that in a second. But then, in verse 35, here's where Yadah comes in Leah conceived again, gave birth to a son. This time it wasn't about the husband, it wasn't about her. It simply says, "This time I will yada unto the Lord. I will yada unto the Lord. Do you see that? I will yada unto the Lord. So she named him Yahuda. His name Judah comes from that word yada. So she named Reuben after seeing, Simeon after hearing, Levi after being attached, and Judah." When she, Yadah, cast herself with abandon, was ready to go down with the ship, I don't care what my husband does. I don't care if he loves me. It's not about having a kid to make me feel better, to raise my level of importance in his eyes. It's about you, God, and it's always been that way. And when she finally got it, God blessed her with a son named Judah, Judah. And it says, she was finished bearing children. See, when you get it right, you don't need any more. You remember Jesus on the cross? When the work was all done, it's finished. Amen? So what happens to Judah? Well, Judah in Genesis 49, just a couple of passages here. 49.8 Judah, Yehuda, your brothers will yada you. They're not going to give thanks to you. They're not going to praise you. It says it right there in the context. Your brothers will do what? They're going to bow down. They're going to be abandoned unto you. They're going to go down with the ship, like it or not. Genesis 49.10, still talking about the tribe of Judah, It says the scepter, that's power. Power will not depart from Judah. Or the staff, that's the law, the person who's the lawgiver, the person that has power and sovereignty, that's the staff. From between his feet until Shiloh, that's Messiah, arrives. What it's saying is that Shiloh, Messiah, is going to come through Yehuda. It's going to come through Yadah. Messiah comes through abandonment. And it says, not only will his his brothers bow down to him, but his father's sons will bow down to him. And then it says right there in Genesis 49.10 that the obedience of all mankind belongs to Yudah. Judah. That's where Jesus comes from. So if you want to talk about whether it means to give thanks or to praise, it doesn't mean either of those things. It means total abandon unto God. And I think if we're going to study, if we're going to read God's word, and we take liberty in the way that we translate it, we end up missing the beauty of it. And you say, so what, pastor? Big deal. Jesus came from some tribe, and it has something to do with abandonment. So we come to the New Testament. Yeshua, Joshua, the name of Jesus in Hebrew, it means Yahweh, the Lord, the I Am, the Eternal One saves. And he saves out of Yada. Jesus came out of Judah, and that's where the Lord saves from. When we are abandoned unto God, then we are saved in Christ. I don't know. Maybe you guys are just bored. We've heard it before, Pastor. He is Yadah personified. He is absolute, total, and utter abandon unto God. The mission to redeem humanity. Jesus said, I'll go down with the ship. I'll go down with this ship, Father. John's gospel, Jesus said, Father, I don't do anything on my own. I only see, I only do what I see you doing, Father. What would our lives look like if the only thing we ever did, we took no action and we were still and patient and waited on the Lord, if the only thing we ever did in our lives was what we saw the Father doing. The only thing that we ever did was through the Holy Spirit's leading. The only thing that we did was out of obedience in and to the Word, our Lord, the King, the Risen One, Jesus Christ. Pastor, we can't do that. Why not? That's what eternity is going to be like in heaven, isn't it? So why don't we start now? Jesus said, I'll go down with this ship, even to death. He said, I'm not going to put my hands up in surrender. Not to the Jews, not to the most powerful military army in the world, not to the Romans, not to the ultimate enemy that is Satan, the accuser, the adversary, not to him. I'm not going to put my hands up in surrender, but I'll put my arms out wide upon a crossbeam to show you that I want to wrap my love around you. There will be no white flag above my head. The only thing above his head was a little sign. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Jesus said, I'm in love. And I always will be. I love the Father. I love His will. I love His mission. And I love humanity. He loves each and every one of us, each and every one of you, to the point that He would go up there to Calvary and that He would take those nails in silence. It doesn't mean that He never uttered a word because He clearly did. It means He never spoke out in anger he never cursed anyone. In fact, what he did was he prayed and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And the father said, yes, son, I'll forgive them because of what you've done. Abandon. Given completely. Psalm 107. It begins, yada, not give thanks not praise, not hallelujah, all of those things are good. But see, you can't truly give thanks to the Lord if you've never abandoned unto him. You can't praise God. You can't do it if you've never abandoned unto him. It says in the book of Isaiah that they praise and worship me with their mouths. Their lips are moving, but their hearts are far away from me. I wonder for how many of us that's true maybe this morning. Maybe in our churchy, religious stuff that we do, it's just about going, it's about putting the hour in on Sunday, it's about checking the box, and that means nothing to him because Jesus said to the people who said, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miraculous works? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And Jesus said, away from me, I never knew you. Why didn't Jesus know them? Because they had never yada. They had never abandoned unto the Lord. In Psalm 107, that verb yada occurs five times. And today is just the Setup. Today is just the setup for the weeks to come. So as I continue preaching in the weeks to come from Psalm 107, you're going to say, Aha, yada. Aha, yada. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation is some crazy literature. It's called apocalyptic. And apocalyptic, when we hear it in television and movies, apocalyptic, it means nuclear war, it means zombies, it means crazy stuff going on, but that's not what it means in Scripture. Apocalypto means unveiling, a disclosure, a revealing. God is revealing himself and the end times and how things are going to turn out. Does anybody here think that Satan's going to win in the end? Can I have a show of hands? Anyone? Nobody? Why is that? Because we know how the story ends, right? We've got his word. Revelation chapter 4. The author, his name is John. They're not sure which John it is. But John is taken up he's raptured up into this this ecstatic vision and he's using language that has limitations to communicate something so beautiful so magnificent that our words are incapable of carrying the weight of drawing an accurate picture he says in verse 2, immediately, I was in the spirit and was in the throne of heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone. A rainbow that appeared around him was that of emeralds surrounding the throne. And then he goes on to talk about these 24 thrones and these living creatures. And then in verse 9, It says, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, here's what the 24 elders do. The 24 elders fall down. That means that they worship, they get down on their faces before the one seated on the throne, and they worship the one who lives forever and ever. And what do they do? They take the crowns that the Lamb of God gave to them that are sitting on their heads and they give them back. Total abandon. If you're wondering about what your reward in heaven will be, is it going to be a, a crown? Is mine going to be bigger than Jack's or is it going to be bigger than Austin's or Stevens'? I wonder if I'm going to be in the, in the presidential suite or am I going to be in you know the low-rent income housing in heaven. You're going to be in the presence of Jesus. And if you're really worried about what your reward is, other than that, I think you're missing it. I think you're missing it. You're going to have access to the wellspring of all life, all goodness, all justice, glory, and honor. And you're going to worry about how big your crown is. I wonder what Brittany's wearing over there. Is hers? I think she's got, looks a little bit bigger than mine. I don't think any of that's going to be going on. See, we take the things that we value in this life, and Jesus gives them back to us, and we throw our crowns back at him. And then he picks them back up and he says, I want you to have it. And it goes on forever and ever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, in verse 11, our Lord and God, you alone are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power because you, 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 Yeshua, you've created all things. And by your will, They exist, and we're created. Today we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance, not just of what Jesus did, but of who he is. He's the king. And even if he didn't go to the cross, he'd still be worthy of all glory and in honor and praise forever and ever amen but he did and the only appropriate response the only appropriate response is yada it's total abandon unto him i will go down with this ship I don't know know if that's that's where your heart heart is, is, but that's that's where mine is. Because I truly truly believe believe that Jesus Jesus is the risen king. I know who who I was was before. before. I know know what what he redeemed 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 me from. from. And And I I say to him, Jesus, I am abandoned unto you. As we leave these walls and go out into a world that's committed to themselves and committed to everything but the one who is creator and sustainer the one who deserves all honor and glory and praise, the one to whom the obedience of all mankind belongs. We can't beat them in this submission. It has to be what Jesus did, love, grace, and truth. Go and cast your nets. Let's reel in a big haul for the risen King. Amen? Let's all stand and sing together.